Beyond, and hello everyone, my name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is a very special episode of Podcast Beyond, because today we are going to be diving very deep into The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, full spoilers are in effect. If you haven't played the game, turn back now, go play it, go finish it, uh, and then come back and listen to this episode, because we are going to dive uh, into full spoiler territory with uh, Lucy O'Brien, my cast member who's with me. But more importantly, I'm sorry, Lucy, uh, you don't have the, the highest honor of this episode, because we are joined by Neil Druckmann and Hallie Gross from Naughty Dog for The Last of Us Part Two. Thank you both so much for being here and speaking with us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, excited. Uh, hey, so, how's your 2020 been? How's your 2020 been, guys? <laughs> Let's go give us the, 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 the roundup. <laughs> the most boring year of my life. <laughs> nothing much of note has happened this year definitely uh so we'll we'll try to find something to talk about this episode uh i know lucy and myself both have a ton that we want to ask you about and talk about with this episode and as much as i'd love to spend the next 30 minutes uh exclusively uh honoring the memory of shimmer uh there are some other conversations i i do want to get into and i i you laughed <laughs> uh we we are going to go into spoilers so it's going to get there i i will we'll eventually get into actual story beats i promise but uh i, I did want to talk sort of about um the I, I think just jumping right into the structure of the story for me would be a really interesting place to start because uh neil you and i spoke a little bit before the game came out and we talked a bit about uh sort of how the the structure of the game changed through development and I, I was sort of curious if you could both talk about uh you know primarily we have this sort of uh, two-factor story of the the first half really focusing on Ellie's journey and then the second half focusing on Abby's journey, mostly in Seattle, but a little bit in Jackson. How how did that story flow evolve as you began to crack the story and figure out what you wanted to both explore? Yeah, whenever we had the, this kind of concept to construct a story about empathy by seeing two sides of a conflict, um, we had the two sides, but they were the kind of distribution was different initially this game was going to be open world with several different hubs and the original hub was you're going to be playing as abby who has some backstory and her and her friends get attacked they get rescued by joel and tommy and get um helped into jackson and you would then spend a while in jackson doing missions before some critical point where abby would reveal who she is and she would be struggling with this choice and then kill joel and then you would take on as Ellie going on this journey to Seattle. That would become the second hub of trying to find all these people and um, uh, eventually confront Abby. Uh, but then as we were putting the story together, it just felt with, with the game we were trying to make, with the story we were trying to tell, with the characters we had at our disposal, it didn't make sense for it to be open world. And those aspects felt like they were too much in conflict. And that's when really around the time like Hallie came on and kind of talked high level about the goals of what we're trying to do. And then it became more wide linear with some kind of more open areas, uh, but where we would try to get to the inciting incident much more quickly, which is the death of Joel, and then get on with the journey. And then some point in the midway through, switch perspective to um, show Abby's side of the storm. Is that what you remember, Hallie? I don't remember. Yeah, what. no, no, no. It's funny. You brought back the open world thing. And I was like, oh, right. The first like three weeks of my time at Naughty Dog were just like, can we make an open world? And like trying to make that work and then realizing how much it sort of uh, screws with stakes and tension building. And so we we moved off of that. But we really played with structure, I mean, throughout the entire process. So yes, the game is currently divided between largely between first half Ellie, second half Abby. but we entertained intercutting, we entertained moving parts around, the flashbacks have all moved. I mean, it's a living thing, this game. Yeah, I can't imagine it being an open world. I think you're right because it is so it's so structured in a way that every every beat really resounds. You know, when you're in an open world game, you're constantly distracted by this, you're constantly distracted by this little fetch quest, you know, catch seven chickens or something. Uh, and I can't sort of imagine that interrupting the story. So I'm so ultimately pleased that you went in the direction that you went in. Um, is is there any sort of part of you that thinks, oh, God, okay, you know, a Last of Us story could be told in an open world setting? Yes. And I think we the design team actually came with a bunch of interesting aspects to play 
in the Last of Us world in an open world setting, and it just felt like all oh, those well, those ideas were interesting and provocative. They didn't fit the characters we were playing as. Um, I don't want to get into specifics in case whoever used any of those ideas, uh, but it just it it just too many things were in conflict of each other, and just we had to make some hard choices as far as what kind of game do we want to make. Well, and so as you were saying, sort of at the beginning, uh, it came down to this uh, idea of seeing empathy uh, and telling that from two different sides, uh, and obviously something you know to preserve story spoilers and where the story would go because it does really uh, demand to be played. I feel um, it, it started out as you know on a like uh, product facing way, a story about revenge. Um, wh- why did though at the end of the day, wanting to really get down to empathy in this world be uh, sort of the catalyst for your interest in this story? I think that was the emotional core of what we were after um, in talking it through and trying to figure out what what is this conflict about. It it was really to show um, how similar these characters are and how much conflict, and so much of this for myself and I think for others in the team, is inspired by real world events where you have sides of a conflict and you see how they often dehumanize the other side to justify atrocious behavior. And we felt through gameplay, through putting you in the shoes of Ellie, we could get you to feel certain aspects, certain feelings and then put you in the second half of the game and through empathy, through um, seeing the consequences, not just of what you've done, but like what you've taken away from these people get you to reflect on it. Uh, and that was kind of like what we were always after. Uh, I kind of lost track of, of, of your question. Um, I, I'm just curious sort of of the sort of um, subverting that expectation because so many of us went in, you know, expecting a revenge story. But I do oh, think right. the things that I've taken away the most are that empathy and that love and that care. For I mean, that, that's the thing, which is like maybe to a fault. We tried so hard to protect the experience, the player's experience. Um, we've done it with the first game, right? With the, with the Last of Us 1, we never revealed why you're transporting Ellie from one, one coast to another. And ultimately that game is about the unconditional love a parent feels for their child and the sacrifices they make. And I feel like to talk about that head on, it would be kind of taken away what the experience is about. So for here to say, hey, here's an experience about empathy, um, you would play the first half and you keep waiting for the shoe to drop and say, okay, how is this going to reflect back? So instead we presented something much simpler and then let you see how complex it is when you finally play it. And I, oh, sorry, Lucy, go ahead. I mean, I just want to sort of add that, you know, I think what was achieved was really uh, quite something because you talk to people who have played it all the way through and, uh, and you know, you can see they describe their journey and it's, it's always quite similar. Like they, they sort of get to a point where they're so invested in Ellie's journey and then they're suddenly, bam, in, in Abby's shoes and they're, they're feeling completely distraught. And, and I think that it's, it's really it's such a difficult line to tread to sort of go, okay, and now they're going to really hate being in Abby's shoes and they're not going to want to be in Abby's shoes. Right. Cause no one wanted to be in Abby's shoes because everyone hated Abby at that point. Uh, and then suddenly realize that she is a fully formed person with her own story and what you perceived as Abby was very different to who she actually was. And then you feel that empathy and, and, and that really doesn't come full circle at least not for me until the very end when I was just like, Oh my God, I can see this whole journey. Like looking at it from afar, it's what, what you've done here is, is incredible in, the, in, in subverting my expectations. But I guess my, my, my roundabout question is, did you expect, uh, did you expect people to really sort of be at that point hating Abby when, when sort of act two begins and you're put in her shoes, this woman who smashed uh, Joel's skull open with a golf club did you realize that people would sort of be like, oh, God, no, I don't want to play as her? Hallie? I mean, you know how much we focus test, right? <laughs> we did know. Yeah, we for sure knew. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's absolutely tricky, right? So it's like you've got this character. We want you to have this very sort of um, superficial idea of who she is. And then we give you just enough backstory for you to understand why she did. And you go, oh, I mean, the I don't want to say like every person, but most often people will go, oh, I mean, okay, I get why she did it, but still fuck her. I don't necessarily want to get to know this person. And then, yeah, then it is that like 
gradual onboarding of going, this is who she is when you meet her. This is the the inciting incident, you know, meeting these two kids will be her inciting incident. And now we're on liftoff and starting to connect to her and see her sort of through ultimately kind of a, a Joel in the first game arc, right? This character who is done many horrible things and sort of through uh, increasing selflessness becomes a more redemptive person. Uh, and I think I answered the question. No, you did. I mean, it, you know, <laughs> again, like it's just, it's so well done because it could have, it is a really fine line as, as you know, as you both know. Um, but yeah, just going from those highs to the, to those lows and back to the highs again, to, to come out the other side is, is, is an incredible experience and not one, not one we see often, if ever in a, in a triple A video game. Go ahead. Go ahead. There you go. <laughs> go. Well, I was just, that's one of the exciting things of wanting to make this game is it felt like at least in the space of where we make games, it felt like something fresh to say, we know you're going to start this journey hating this character. Can we bring you back? That's the challenge. And in, 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 a, in a lesser way, like when we were making Last of Us 1, the thing we would always say, if you don't love Ellie, the way we want you to love Ellie, this game falls apart. And for, for this game, we said, if you don't buy into Abby's journey and why she's done what she's done and the relationship she has with the characters, then this game falls apart. And admittedly, right, for some people, it does. As some people resist it so much because of their love for Joel or their hate for Abby, it, the second half doesn't work for them. But I think for most people, they start the journey like with this very strong anger, this very negative feeling. And over time, that softens. And I, I think for a lot of people around the Yara and Lev area, is where they're like, okay, all right, fine, I'm I'm, I'm into this journey now. Um, and then, right when things clash, they don't know how to feel once they get back to the theater. Yeah, the um, yeah, but especially I would say like that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, you go ahead. <laughs> God, I like interviews. It's I wish we were all into the room together drinking beers. Yeah. Ah, ah, that sounds like a dream. <laughs> no, I will say like, but still like even now, uh, and I don't know if it's like the right thing to say or whatever, but like those two levels still give me a ton of anxiety because I'm like, I know you guys don't love her yet. I know you don't. I know we're going to show you some reasons why other people love her, why she's supporting the community, how she's important to this community, what her drives are. But like, you know, it's still like, even now it's like, I know, just have faith, just have faith. <laughs> I, I do just want to like, just stay on this just a little bit longer. Um, because there are so many things you could have done differently, so many ways you can have like essentially have chickened out from making this uh, game the experience that it was by perhaps softening Joel's death, giving him a, a more majestic death, perhaps softening Abby just as a person, like her physicality. You know, you could have done, could have softened her down, made her sort of more immediately palatable to to, to people, uh, but you didn't. And it's so it's so. Incred it's such an incredible game because you you didn't and i'm sort of curious was there ever a moment where you were sort of like okay we you know we need to sort of like back off abby's sort of rage at the beginning of the game like maybe she could you know slip slip something into joel's drink instead of grabbing the golf club you know let's let's just tone it down a little bit was was there any resistance to making it as kind of violent and and her as sort of raw as she was I don't remember any pushback for the act. Um, early on, you know, we're, we're setting out to make a dark story. We had a lot of conversations about, okay, should we make this kind of story? And ultimately the team was on board because we're making a story about empathy and like we felt the dark places we go were justified with what we're trying to say. Um, but no, it's, 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 if anything, we would just say, how can we expand? How can we make Abby more complex? Not how do we soften her? And I think the trap we could have fallen into, and I, I've, I've seen people do this before, which is like, oh, we want you to like Abby, so let's make her perfect in every single way. Instead, we lean into her flaws of like, she, here are a group of people, Joel, Ellie, Abby, that make bad decisions, right? They, they make very flawed decisions. And we try to find the humanity within that for all these characters to say they're somebody's villain, but inside they their motivation is actually good. They're all coming from a good place of what they're trying to achieve. And I also I, think that if we were to have... So oh, sorry. Oh, no, please go Technology ahead. Technology is hard. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I also think if we were to have done what uh, Lucy's suggesting, it would have it would have made everything easier in a way that like, then you're not really reflecting on Joel. You're also not really reflecting on who Ellie will become. Like by mitigating Abby, it lets everybody else off the hook. You know, it's like, no, Joel did do some really savage stuff. Ellie is, you're playing through Ellie doing some really horrible stuff. So if Abby's suddenly like this immediate beacon of light and goodness, um, it, it makes, uh, an unbalanced scale. I think you need to feel that scale constantly feeling relatively balanced between the girls and also um, with Joel as a third. Yeah, for me, during the second half of the game, I think a lot of those, uh, Neil, as you were saying, uh, the flaws really accentuating all of that stuff and even down to small uh, idiosyncrasies of Abby, like her fear of heights, that that level in particular really stuck out to me as this really, really fantastic humanizing moment for her uh, as we dug further into her story. And I, I was a little curious about uh, on the casting side, because, you know, obviously so many people now associate so much Troy uh, and Ashley with Joel and Ellie. And I think Laura does just such a fantastic job as Abby. But I, I was sort of curious about what made her seem like the right choice for this character for you and the team. Yeah, I've mentioned this before, but like we actively didn't want to cast Laura in this role because Laura's in everything. Uh, but we, her agent uh, submitted her and she came in and what she brought was, again, we're looking for complexity. We're looking for contradictions, which is how you see a character having more dimensions. And there was a rage to her performance, but there was such a vulnerability. And you see it when you play the game where it's like, She's scared of Joel. The guy has just gotten his leg blown off. He's lying on the ground bleeding, and she's terrified of him. And even the people around, like, uh, people don't talk a lot about Patrick Fugit, who plays Owen, but he's holding a shotgun, like, as if Joel's going to turn into, like, some winged monster and leap out at him. Uh, and that's the idea. Like, this guy's been built up to all these people. I've never met him as, like, this the devil, essentially, and he's just a person, and he's a person with his leg blown off. Um, so just kind of, like, closing out your question, it was, like, it was how vulnerable she played it. It was just seeing like she's coming from a place of pain instead of just pure rage. And that was inspiring to explore that character. Uh, and, you know, mentioning Owen there, I, I really loved what Abby's story did in terms of this supporting cast that you're meeting for the first time here and is becoming important to the player essentially halfway through the game. How did the... How, how did you and the team come about uh, these characters as sort of the surrounding cast for Abby? Was it sort of like reverse engineered from what uh, you both wanted to see from Abby's uh, character in the game? Or did they just make sense within the story you want to tell? How did they all come about as that cast? Oh my God, I don't even, Neil, do you even remember? I don't even remember <laughs> at this point. I remember we had like cards of people and there was like a period of time in the first six months where we were like adding and subtracting people who would be at Joel's death. Being like, yeah. okay, but we need to drop a body here, so let's add Leah. We yeah, we knew like at first it started from a functional point of like we need enough characters for Ellie to go after. So what's the what's the minimum number there? And then we I think at first we had too many. Isaac played a much bigger role. Isaac had a whole backstory where he was a former firefly, and like when Abby came in, he like took her under his wing because he knew her dad, and it just felt like a lot of bloat that eventually we just like, what are the bare essentials? And we took what used to be three characters and combined them into one. Owen for a while was Kyle or something else, I forget. And one of the aspects we had uh, was yeah. the war between the WLF and the Seraphites. Initially, we just knew it'd be two, these two groups and it took a while to define them. And then in talking about what is Abby's redemption, because the structure of the story is you're seeing a revenge tale told from the front and then one told from the back of like, okay, here's someone that has has carried it through and has meant nothing to them and hasn't fulfilled their hole that has been left. How do they come back from that? And it's like, okay, what if they were able to connect with someone that they've been in war with um, for a while and they've killed people like them? And it's this kind of this Gandhi thing where it's like she's taken on these kids and that's her path to redemption ultimately. And that's eventually where a lot of our energy went to was the two kids, uh, Yar and Lev, and then eventually I got focused specifically on Lev and the, the how that takes them all the way through to the end. I, I, I do remember... 
Go, Sorry, go, how, when it, whenever one of us talks, just shut us up and keep talking because you no, are the voice in like the room. <laughs> but I will now. But anyway, so no, but I also, to that point, I also, now that Neil's talking about it, I remember us specifically, especially with like Manny and Owen and Mel, like, you know, so much of this game is about um, diversity of opinions, right? And so you want two people who are going to stand on opposite sides of the same take or of the same issue. And so you want that for Abby. You want Abby to have Manny who's like, let's fucking kill every scar we can find. Let's smash their heads in. And I'm rooting for that lifestyle versus the Owen of like, who's, you know, in flashbacks questioning what they're doing. And by the time we sort of meet him in the game on the boat, he's fully given up this journey and he's already sort of like finding humanity. And you want, you want Abby to have both options in her life so that the debate is A, her choice to make, and B, she's getting constantly pulled. So it feels like this earned decision. So I remember as we were building out the squads for both characters, trying to find people who would tug them either way. I think, you know, Abby's, Abby's redemption arc is so, is, is really elegantly told. And I think that it makes sense uh, from every angle and I, I, I'm sort of curious if, to, if she'd been a different character. I think I'd still feel the same way. I just think it was, you know, really beautifully done. But I am curious as to uh, sort of where Abby as a, as, a, as a baseline character came from, not, not her function within the story, but obviously uh, her personality and her vulnerability. Because uh, the first thing I, I said, one of the first things I said to Dorno, because I, I, I finished a little bit later than him, uh, was, you know, I've never seen a character like Abby before in a video game, ever. Uh, she was completely new to me. And, and, and you know, new because we see protagonists, uh, female protagonists in particular, they're, they're of a certain type, especially in 2020, the last five years, you know, uh, very capable, very uh, sort of capable with a little bit of vulnerability, but ultimately very cap- capable. And, and Abby sort of twists that as in she's very imposing physically, uh, and, and, and yet she's got this vulnerability to her, which I, again, it's a sort of vulnerability that I've never seen before. She kind of reminds me like one of those flashbacks. She reminded me of this kid in school who was a little bit of a loser, but was sort of like really built and people were scared of her, but she was just, she was a sweetheart, you know? And I, she, it made me think of Abby and I'm so curious as to where she came from. It's so hard when you work on a character for years to like pinpoint inspiration. Cause at first it was like, um, we just made lots of concept art. So it's like, as we explore character, we're like kind of go wild and create all these different looks and let's see what we're drawn to, what's inspiring. And there was one early on of like, where she was kind of beefy. Um, what does your sister call her, Hallie? Like beefsteak? Uh, uh, beefsteak. Yeah. Beefsteak. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and that's kind of cool because, like, okay, haven't seen that. What does that mean? How could someone in this world? What, why would they do that? Like, why would they like dedicate their lives towards becoming so strong and imposing? Uh, and then, right, so much of that is then because, okay, where, where do we take the character? So then you think about where she ends up at the end. It's, so it's the contrast of seeing uh, Abby at the beginning versus Abby at the end, how emaciated she is, and how how far she's come from where she's been. And then the other thing you're trying to do is and Hallie was alluding to that earlier, is you're trying to look at your cast and say, even just from an aesthetic level, how do we separate each one? Because we have so many characters and you need to right away recognize them and remember them. So it's like, oh yeah, we have Ellie and we know what Ellie kind of looks like. What's the opposite of that? And that's where Abby kind of like started taking that place. But as far as her personality, that was just a long evolution of writing scenes and throwing them away and developing the other characters and thinking what's the relationship with them. And then when Mel started coming online, this idea that Abby is feeling very self-conscious about being this monster and she doesn't know how to deal with that. And she's projecting how she feels about herself with how others are maybe like talking about her behind her back. Um, and those are the kind of things we're trying to hint at as you're playing the game with Abby. Allie, anything? I think it's also, yeah, always. Um, I think it's also about to <laughs> finding ways um, to make other characters feel valuable to her, right? So it's like you have this character who is fairly savvy, very skilled at at survival, um, but 
So why does she need other people? You know, what what is she lacking that somebody else can bring to the table? And so then you've got Lev, right? Who's this like, you know, scrappy little dude who's pretty good with a bow, but like nobody's going to, you know, nobody, you're picking a team, you're going to pick Abby in a survival universe. But here he is and he can jump over anything. He can climb on anything. And suddenly he's so much more adept. And so like finding ways where she has this whole, right? She has this fear of heights. She has this, she's not nimble. She's not Ellie. And like giving this kid that, that strength to make them whole as one unit um, was another way where we were also sort of another way we were looking at ways to sort of carve her out was like, how can let's, let's find a, a, a hole essentially that another character can emotionally or, or capably fill. I really tried not to say physically fill. I want you all to know I tried. <laughs> no, I love that. I hadn't thought of that before. That's, that's, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> Well, and sort of uh, on the opposite side of that, when it comes to this game, how, what did, uh, as you were exploring, uh, you know, new facets of Ellie in, in the sequel, obviously so much of what we knew about her was born from her relationship with Joel, but then seeing her become her own person really at the beginning of this game uh, and, and seeing that complemented with her relationship with Dina. Um, the, I, I love the, the honesty and the, the humanity of their relationship with one another that we see in this game. And I was sort of curious about, um, how you decided what you wanted, uh, Ellie's relationships with other people in Jackson to be, and especially focusing in on that romantic relationship. Yeah. Dina, a version of Dina was there early on. I think when you came on Hallie, there was already a Dina. I think, I don't remember. Um, but I think then, it was a girlfriend. The 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 functional yeah. space for Dina was to have someone from Jackson because so much of what Ellie stands to lose is the safety of Jackson, the community of Jackson. So how do we personify that with a with someone a person? So the idea was like, what if there was someone there that was already there for years before Ellie even got to Jackson? So they know everybody in Jackson. They know it inside out. Over the years. Dina has become Ellie's best friend. So even if they weren't romantically involved, as soon as Ellie goes on this journey, Dina was there with her, like ride or yeah. die. They're ride or die. And, and the idea with Jesse is kind of occupying that same space as well. Like these are all, yes, very good, Hallie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's where it started from. And then again, you're trying to say, okay, what Dina's on board to bringing these people to justice. Maybe not as far as Ellie. And ultimately, we see the difference between Ellie and Dina. But that's where we start building out the backstory of her sister and how, what happened to her sister. And here was this paternal figure that she lost. And she wishes she could catch the people that did that. And like this thing is unfulfilled. And she kind of gets to live vicariously through Ellie of like bringing someone that has committed a horrible act to, to justice. I'll pause there. I also, like, I'm, well, the one thing I like it's like famously happened is like Hallie on the first week of her job was like oh, yeah. she was pregnant. I think it was the first day, dude. Was it the first day? I believe it. Yeah, which is I, I was thinking that I was like, oh, he must have had Dina already because otherwise why would I be pitching on that? Um I agree with everything Neil said, I'm ashamed to say. But also I would add, um another thing I think that that was important about who Dina is is you know, when you meet Dana, she feels like this very sheltered girl. She feels like somebody who hasn't had the life experience of Ellie, who sort of believes in a more optimistic universe. Um, and then as you come to get to know her sort of through Seattle arrival, through that hub area, you're going to the synagogue, you're spending time with her in the watchtower level. Um, she starts to talk about sort of to what Neil was referencing. She starts to talk about her sister. And I think, it, you know, a mistake now, uh, let me talk about this in terms of the positive. I think it's really important to show two sides of any coin. I think opposites are really important to show in any kind of narrative. And I think, you know, with Ellie, we are very much heavily having a conversation about a kind of PTSD that is crippling, a kind of PTSD that is is so impactful and so overwhelming that she is willing to eventually leave her family because it's so loud, she can't manage it. And I think it was important to show another character who has had an equal level of trauma but has figured out for whatever reason or how by whatever means how to live with it how to work through it and how to still be a present partner and parent 
um, to show that like, we're not sitting here saying there's one universal way people experience trauma. There's not one universal way that, um, that people, people, um, digest, digest hardships. Um, there are all these different ways. We're just saying, this is how Ellie did it, but look, here's Dina and she's still capable of, of putting her family first and being present and, and there's no one way to skin a cat here. So I think that was also a really important part of Dina. And also Dina gets to be our sort of Ellie in a way, you know, she gets to be a little lighter. She gets to be jokey. She gets to bring out the, the love and the, the sweetness that we saw in Ellie from the first game. Yeah, I, w- I want to add that, like, I, I really loved their relationship. I loved that it just was. Uh, I think after after the first Last of Us Part Two reveal at E3, I don't even remember when that was. Um, and, you know, people were really, like, there was a lot of chatter around uh, Ellie being gay and 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 what have you, and, and that being sort of forefront and center of how The Last of Us Part Two was being marketed. Um, and, you know, I remember just being a little, you know, a little naturally worried that it was going to be another kind of, and she's gay, kind of like, you know, bright light sort of thing. Like, let's like, let's put all the emphasis on that and, and make it, you know, a big dramatic lesbian relationship story. And it wasn't, it wasn't that at all. It was just a really natural, uh, natural relationship played out in a really natural way, um, which is a lesbian relationship. Right. Uh, but I do, I do also want to add that as someone who was a 19 year old lesbian once, uh, I think that, <laughs> that Ellie is the most, uh, accurate portrayal I've seen yet in any kind of media of a 19 year old lesbian. So well done. Thank You'll you. Yeah, I, I mean, I think so much of our work was just, how do we treat this honestly? Like I, we never, I don't think we've ever asked the question, how would like a lesbian couple act? We're like, okay, we have these two characters. How would they act? You know, we've skipped school. We've smoked weed. We've hooked up with people. And we're just I trying never to skipped draw. What? And, what? And Neil, I'm sorry. Skipping school and smoking weed is the lesbian experience. I'm sorry. Gonna... <laughs> uh, I, I love the idea, Lucy, that you're just comparing it to like every beat of your uh, high school, college <laughs> oh, years. It was, every, it was everything <laughs> but the clickers. Everything but the clickers. <laughs> That's a great memoir, <laughs> Um, I, I did want to uh, touch on, because you were bringing up that sort of fascinating parallel of uh, coping with the PTSD and the, the differences between the two of them. And I, I think everything that happens at the farm uh, where they're living toward the end of the game is just some of the most heartbreaking stuff uh, I've seen, not just in a game, but just in any story uh, recently. Uh, it, it's so affecting and so moving. And I... I didn't expect the story to go there at any point. Um, I, I really sort of thought after we explored uh, the Ellie and Abby scenarios in Seattle, it would sort of end there. And I, I was curious about the the ending at large of the game, uh, just to sort of dive into that. Like, it, did, did that part of the story, um, was that all there very early on in the discussions of how it went? Did that stuff really grow over time? How did that whole sort of end scenario really come to be? I remember the farm was there very early on. One of the things we wanted to do with the story is one kind of blow up the structure of a traditional classical story. Like the first game is very much a three act structure and has more of a cinematic pace to it. Here we want to take more of like a novel, um, like a, that can meander a little bit. It could be a little bit messier. A novel, and, novel approach. Uh, and. <laughs> Uh, spend some time of like showing like, okay, again, what do you stand to lose? Which means through gameplay, we could have you spend some time in, in this environment. There's not going to be any combat. Um, it's going to be slow and intentionally slow. Uh, and then I forget how you know, like, for a while we're going down into Mexico and the whole like last showdown took place in Mexico yeah. before we moved it to Santa Barbara. Yeah. But again, I still feel like that was yeah. pretty early on. We knew we wanted to come back to playing as Ellie and going on that final kind of leg and getting that final showdown between these two characters, knowing we're going for very different feelings than your traditional final boss fight. Even early on, like the idea was like, make it feel pathetic, make it feel disgusting, make yeah. you not want to participate. I mean, yeah, I remember in the very earliest days, it was all on an oil rig. Um, and these guys were living out on an oil rig and you had to get to the oil rig and get into the oil rig and get Ellie and, or get Abby 
and and pull her out of there. And then the girls were like working together to get themselves out of there. And then there was Mexico. And then there was this Santa Barbara, but it was like three times as big and long and wide and and huge. There was um, a time when you were working through a town and you were like going sort of up to like this the sort of palate, it was like more of a plantation style. Uh, and there was like more of a palace and you were kind of, there was still a family that lived there and was running right. this whole and thing. You remember like, that? You, you fought yeah. the guy that ran this whole kind of like flavor community. Yeah. And just, again, it was like a lot of just things we took out. It was like, what are the bare essentials that we need? And, you know, given another year, we probably could have taken more stuff out. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but one of the things we wanted to avoid is the, I don't know, is the, Batman versus Superman syndrome, which is like you see a lot of these stories where you have these two characters going up against each other and then they find like someone more evil than them and they team up and take on. It's like we wanted to avoid that. It's like to say it's not about that. So they're not going to work together to fight someone greater. It's all this internal conflict that they have to resolve within themselves. I'm I'm curious yeah. as to uh, because when I when the credits rolled for me, many conflicting emotions, obviously, uh, but I really felt like uh it was the uh, ellie and joel's relationship had come to its its final conclusion it wasn't until the very end when i when i really felt that and in many ways i sort of saw the last of us part two is still being joel's story joel and ellie's story um even though abby was such an intrinsic part of that and i you know i'm curious as to did you sort of sit down and say okay whose story is this was it is it abby's story is it ellie's story is it joel's story is it all three, because that's a very difficult line to tread or, you know, is, was the through line just one character story in your, in your brains? Yes. I mean, I would argue, I would argue, I'm going to guess what Neil's going to say. Hold on. I'm going to say something. And then Neil, you tell me if this is what you were going to say, but I think ultimately we start from theme more than anything else. So while yes, I would agree, you know, this is very much all three of those characters' stories. Ultimately, where where we're orienting our our sales toward is this idea of of trauma and redemption, and trying to make sure that that is the cyclical nature of violence is pervasive in every facet of the game and every character. Um. So, so really, that I think was our north star. Neil, without you going to say. I agree with you. And and I, I guess we never, I don't remember conversations where like, whose story is it? Because it doesn't really inform how we make decisions about the story. Um, and that's more of like, I think, in, in, as you interpret it, it's like, yeah, I, I totally see the argument how this is Joel's story. And he's like present throughout the whole thing. But for us, it's more about point of view. So it's like, okay, we're in Ellie's point of view. And then how do we treat the story and respect that? And then okay, now we're in Abby's point of view. How do we treat the story and respect that? Because you can make the argument is like, in some ways, this is Sarah's story, right? Sarah, like death way back 25 years earlier, like set a lot of these events in motion. And one of the things we're trying to show is like, there's this kind of like karmic thing that's happening is like, all these events feed into each other. And sometimes showing mercy, like when Abby shows mercy to Tommy and Ellie results in the death of your friends. Um, and there's an argument to be made. There's like, well, if you didn't show um, um, hatred as well, then that would have caused the death of your friends. But the second time she spares Ellie um, and shows mercy with Lev, that actually saves her. Um, without saving Ellie at that point, she would have died at the hands of the slavers. And it's just just showing this kind of knock-on domino effect that all these characters have on each other. Um, so it's really kind of all of their story in some in some way. I think we only ever really talked about it in terms of like writer brain about, okay, who needs to be the active person here? Who needs to be driving the the engine in any given level? Absolutely makes sense. Yeah. I, I loved the switching and the, the way that the game gives, I think every character, not just the ones you're playing as, but every character sort of their due and their full realization as a human in this world and not just a function of the plot or a function of the gameplay. Uh, everyone really comes to the forefront at some point or another. Uh, as we sort of wrap up on time, I did want to ask because um, speaking to Lucy's point, sort of as this Joel and Ellie relationship coming full circle, um, 
Ellie's uh, music plays such a big role in Ellie's life in this game uh, and certainly in her relationship with Joel. And one, Neil, I want to say I, I loved your breakdown of uh, how Joel saw the Pearl Jam song uh, before the album came out because I actually Googled that after playing the game. I was like, oh, there's that live version. I bet he watched that on YouTube. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, I, I did want to ask, you know, I, I think the song choices in this game, particularly that Pearl Jam song and, of course, uh, Take On Me uh, when Ellie sings to Dina are so powerful and so unique because Ellie is so far removed from when those songs would have mattered to pop culture. Um, how did music sort of come to inform this game whatsoever, whether it's, you know, the amazing score or those needle drop moments? Yeah, I think just music plays such a big part in our lives as creators. Uh, and when you're trying to think about these characters, like even Last of Us 1, right, has Hank Williams, and that plays a certain role. And there are actually more plans in the first game to put more music in it. And you hear Joel talking about guitar, and you see guitars on his wall. So there was like that inspiration was there. And then with this one, just because the guitar became such a symbol of their relationship, we decided to really lean into that and say, where are the moments? And again, um, where are the moments where we could use music to amplify certain feelings or certain connections? And in fact, when, when the game was open world, it was a bit more of like, uh, this idea is kind of lame in hindsight, but you would go to all these places in the map and find new songs and Ellie would play those songs and you would just kind of accrue all these like songs. And then it felt like, again, just trying to like, distill it down to the bare essential, what is the minimum number we need to tell the story? But then people are jamming on Ellie's guitar anyway. They're just playing their own music, which is amazing. That's, by the way, just got to give props to the the design department. And um, that was a mechanic that was, because initially it was more going to be like a QTE and um, a few members of the design team really pushed for this idea of making it fully interactive and then there were some really musically inclined designers that pushed for like, let's put as many like the bass chords in there as possible, knowing people will play it in such a way. Uh, so hats off to them. Like I, I couldn't have foreseen it. Yeah, it's it's been fantastic to sort of see people bring together uh, Ellie's cover album uh, on the <laughs> internet with all these great hits. Um, but uh, Lucy, do you have any other questions sort of as we wrap up? Uh, Wanna. I mean, I've got a million. I just like the, the you know, the, the one that I would love to keep going. Quiet for seven years, we're dying to talk about this. <laughs> I, I guess, you know, one one question I have is is like just going back to that um, that farm moment. Uh, how difficult was that to get right? Because I was when 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 Abby, uh, sorry, when Ellie says to Dina. I have to go and do this. Like, you know, I can't, I can't get him out of my head. This has to be done. That must've been a very difficult uh, scene to write because uh, I did, I mean, everyone was screaming at her not to go, right? Like you're just, you're internally just going, what the hell are you doing? You idiot, you know? Um, And I think that ultimately I believed it. It was not the choice that I would have made but I believed it. And it, uh, was this, did that take some convincing? I mean, internally uh, to get everyone on board with Ellie making that decision because yeah, like I was, I was screaming at her not to do it. I was like, that's an a, a insane thing for her to do. She's got such a good thing. She's got a kid now. And I'm curious if there was some debate uh, as to whether she, she should go. Well, I'll ramble for a bit and then how it's like so much of Ellie's exploration was she knows what logically is the right thing to do, but her emotions, um, she's, she's a bit of a hothead. Her ego is wrapped up in this thing in a way that she can't, she doesn't know how to decouple it, which is very different from Joel. Joel's violence is very practical and is almost emotionless. Um, where Ellie feels like she was disrespected. She was wrong and she just keeps replaying this. And I think Hallie and I can relate to that to some degree of like um, that kind of anger. And actually that scene was one of the first scenes we wrote because it was the Dina audition scene was the breakup scene. What are you, what are you pointing? What are you doing? 
I was trying to figure out for me, you're here, but then I was looking at the camera and you're oh. here. And I was trying to say that you also have that issue by pointing at you silently while you were monologuing, but it didn't really work out. And then I just looked like Tweedledee and Twiddledum in any way. <laughs> that was great. That was a good joke. You should write that one down. <laughs> we need um, you like we need you more like on the show more often. This is this is just wonderful. Is I love this rapport. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that team, we, we were very early on to try to figure out Dina and that dynamic. And by the way, that that addition that Shannon Woodward did is one of the best additions we've ever held. Like, um, oh. in fact, like so. Usually, we like just to give that that story is like we wanted to audition against uh, Ashley Johnson who plays Ellie, but she was out of town, so we brought Laura Bailey who plays Abby to play Ellie um, on the stage where we usually shoot the stuff. The electricity went out, so we couldn't be on the main stage. We're in the hallway next to the, the parking lot. There's a Where's helicopter the flying outside that's super loud. Because the electricity is out, there's all this milk and food that's going bad, so the place just stinks. And then Shannon Woodward comes in. We're like, okay, we're going to be in this hallway filming on our phone, this audition with Laura Bailey. Let's see what you can do with the scene. And she killed it. Like, we're all like just, like, jaw on the floor, like – tears in our eyes like, and you bought it like you're, you're right it's like it's a very hard scene and we had the pages and we're not quite sure if it's going to work and then she made it work yeah it was one of the best auditions i've ever seen in my life that's amazing because i i, I do think yeah. there's this um amazing quiet confidence uh that dina brings to the whole story um that really sort of as you were saying let's this game have your ellie where she gets to be a little more jokey uh and gets to be uh, a little funnier and ha have more levity to everything but when you do get these moments with her uh as uh hallie you were saying in the synagogue when she's talking about her uh family and her upbringing and then you also have uh the relationship with them at the farm and potato and all these these great moments with one another um did uh, obviously you're saying that uh audition was so impactful did bringing her into the role change a little bit of your conceptions of what you were wanting dina to be to the story did did that alter how you approach the character at all i mean i think it, at least for me like once we cast her I've worked with Shannon before I knew Shannon. So then, then it was definitely easier. Just you're writing her cadence more. I will also say, you know, um, those girls have great, uh, banter. And so often like, especially for certain videos, I'm like, do you remember Neil, do you remember the Eugene porn stash riffs that they did oh. where they were like, the two of them were just, okay, I got to tell the story. Two seconds. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay, so you know in Eugene's weed laboratory, he's got his little porn stash, and they're reading porn. So originally that was going to be interactive and that, and upstairs, and at first you'd find it without power, and eventually when you found the generator, the whole thing lit up, and then the girls could put the tapes in and watch them. And so we had this interact set up where the girls, and you would just be behind the TV. You wouldn't see the screen itself but the girls would put the tapes in and then they just riffed in the booth where they were like, what's wrong with her boobs? Why are they so cylindrical? Why is she hairless? Is she sick? What's wrong? <laughs> and it was just this like amazing commentary on like these two women who grew up in a post-apocalypse where everything is very functional, like looking at our objectification of women now or, or, or the mid nineties or early, early aughts and and joking about it and commenting on it but circling back around uh i think shannon brought so much humor and life to that character yeah by the way sorry to jump, i'm really jump, sad that's not in the game jump in real quick as it's so funny like i'm still unpacking stuff about the story as we're talking about the scene and now i think about it it's like they're both making an argument about love and El, for Ellie, it's like, it's the love for Jaws. Like I haven't fully, I haven't carried that all the way through. This person that has wronged them is still alive. And uh, Dina now has to love this baby and has supported Ellie every step of the way is now like prioritizing the baby over this journey, which in fact is what Joel would do. Um, Joel would put protection of the people close to him over this mission, which is what, what Tommy was trying to tell Ellie in the very beginning. It was like, Joel wouldn't do this. That's what he was talking about. In fact, for that scene, we had a line that we end up cutting um, just for just the flow of that scene where Tommy talked about Joel never tried to find the, the soldier that, that ordered Sarah's death. Like that, he was never about that. 
um, that never crossed his mind. And like now you're trying to do this thing that he would never do. Uh, but it just felt like it was just getting a bit heavy handed and we end up taking that stuff out. Sorry, just on my mind, I have to get it out. I like, I know we're great. Like no, I like that too. And I know we're pressed for time, but I like, I, I'm really curious as to your individual. And I, this is like, like the bombshell final question. Um, what is your, you know, what's your favorite scene from, from this game? What's your favorite moment? Like individually, what's your, what's your wow. favorite moment where it's just like, Every time you watch it, because I imagine that you've seen this, you know this like the back of your hand, but every time you watch it, it's like, oh, that is that is my chef's kiss moment for The Last of Us Part 2. That is a bombshell question. Wow. Yikes. Neil, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? No, I want you to go first. <laughs> I mean, okay, I'll just ramble for a bit. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is actually not a scene. It's some in-game dialogue, but I really love when Abby and Lev are crossing the bridge the sky bridge and he's trying to distract her and he's like what's going on with you and owen it was really awkward like for me there's just something like it was such a nice way to like get out exposition in a way that was so like delightful and annoying that like i think brought them together in a fun way i was really that part i always i was i've always been really tickled by um in terms of cinematics like obviously you know the the whole museum is a fucking delight and a half um that was so fun to to watch, to be a part of um, my favorite scenes. I think the breakup scene hits me hard every time. Mm. It's fun. So, oh, uh, oh. no, I'm not done. Okay. Uh, I also really like the scene where Ellie comes back after torturing Nora and she says, I made her talk. I love that scene. Yeah, that's a like, that's a hair on the arm scene. Yeah, so it's been, like, it's again. I've been I'm asking not done. Oh my God, you're still going? Yeah. Go ahead. Can I just Go ahead. Wrap it up. Go ahead. My point, my point was, I love that scene because it does so much with so little dialogue. Okay, go. Now you have dialogue time. Go. Uh, every day, I, it's a different one for me. So, like, I've been asked this and I've said the porch scene, but actually, as you, as you asked me today. Um, oh, the porch scene. It's when Abby grabs Lev and says, you're my people. And so much of like the story is that is about who is your tribe? Who are you willing to protect? Where, where, you have this love. What kind of energy are you putting it towards? Are you putting it towards destruction or are you putting it towards protection? And that's kind of like the argument, the back and forth that happens between these two games. Yes, I love that. I also think... Hallie, you go. I'm much more polite with you, Lucy, than I am with Hallie. No, but I also think what was a, that was a, a good scene for Neil to pick because also I think that exemplified our process, right? Where that line, that line we came up with on the stage in the moment yeah. as we were shooting. So like it, it was this nice articulation of like, okay, we write things, we rewrite things, we do a table read with the actors, we figure things out. But even in the moment, like everything is coming together and, and it's, very much about how this whole process is super collaborative, right? It was like everybody on stage and in that moment, this cool thinking. Yeah, we're, we're like, we're doing take after take after take for that scene and it just wasn't gelling. And we took a break and we look at the script and we're trying different things and we pulled Laura in. And I honestly don't remember who even came up with that suggestion. And they were like, you're my people. I, no, I don't believe that. Uh, and then you're my people. Uh, <laughs> was was there and then when she delivered it and Ian's reaction to that it was all like that was it it was one of those magical moments like that's it and again it's to the naughty dog process of just remit, like staying open to new ideas every step of the way and making this thing organic and collaborative it's like just let me harp on that for a little bit is like a game made by hundreds of people sometimes is attributed to too few people and it's 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 a collaborative yeah. medium for a reason unless you're Lucas Pope where you're doing everything by yourself, it's a collaborative medium and should be talked about and viewed in such a way. I, yeah, I, I mean, there's so much of this story. Oh, sorry, Lucy. I'm sorry, no, no, Lucy. No, 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 no. Just, but so I'm much, white noise. There's so, there's so much of this story that is, it is hive mind, right? Like people, you know, facets of characters, facets of character identities, lines of dialogue, like, you know, um, the, the porn titles, like, you know, that stuff, that stuff came from the entire family of Naughty Dog. That wasn't just like 
me and Neil sitting in a room by ourselves, like best idea wins. And if it's not us, fucking fine. You know, whatever it is, it needs to be whatever serves the story best. That's what has to come first. I do think that comes across really clear in the game. Like it is one of the the most cohesive uh, games I've ever played in terms of everything feels like everyone had the same vision. I'm sure that's not the case uh, because you know we're not you're not, <laughs> a, you're not a singular brain. It's a, it's a it's a company. It's many brains. But um, it, you know the end result felt like everyone loved uh, the story that they were telling, whether it be from a visual standpoint, whether it be from a from a script standpoint. It all felt. Uh, it, it all felt very much pushed in the one direction and in a way that I have not seen a game do for a long, long, long time. Um, and just while I've got you before we go, uh, because, you know, it's, it's, it's Neil and Hallie. Um, I do just want to mention this one moment that really stood out for me, which I, you know, it could be a really normy moment that heaps of people have brought up. So I apologize if so. Um, but for me, it was just this little moment when uh, Manny and Abby uh, uh, reunited and uh, that Manny's being pursued, and he says these trespassers or these people are, have been chasing us, and like it's just it, they're, they're they're just all over us. And Abby asks why, and I just thought that that moment said so much about where Abby had come from from that point where she was talking about like if they shoot first, we shoot next, and we're in the right, like you know, no questions asked. And here she was with just that like one word. And again, this was just, I think this was just during gameplay. It wasn't in a cutscene or anything. Um, and she just asked why. And for me, that was like when suddenly Abby just, I suddenly realized, oh, click, you know, she's come this far that she's actually, she, she asked that question. And I just thought that that was really, really, really well done. And maybe, you know, someone hadn't brought it up before. So I wanted to do it. <laughs> Yay. That's awesome. <laughs> no, to me, that's, that's great. That's, that's that dialogue was really tricky. Yeah. And there was like, that's another one of those sequences where we, we wrote way more because we're trying to convey how much Abby has missed because right now Jordan is dead. Uh, Nora has been tortured and killed. And we just wanted to hint at like, there's something else going on here for, for Abby than what she's been privy to. Uh, so again, trying yeah, to just go down to I the will, bare minimum. I will also add, you know, people ask me a lot, how are games different than film and television? Here is a perfect example. Now, I did not write the first draft of this. It was Ryan James, I think, wrote the first draft of, of this in-game sequence. But um, but this is the perfect example, right? Because we had chunks of exchanges to try and get across what Neil was talking about. But because of the gameplay, we had to figure out how to get that dialogue across where you're going from cover to cover. You can go from cover to cover whenever you want. And those lines of dialogue have to fit between the like landing and traveling. And like figuring out how to make that language work with the gameplay and feeling organic. This is how games are different than television. For anybody wondering, <laughs> go play that sequence and it will drive it it will drive you batty. Yeah, I wish I wish they were able to communicate how much work goes into something like that that is completely invisible to the player. Like if it works for you, you just hear a line and it clicks and you move on. But the months and months and months where those lines land at the wrong moment while you're getting shot at or they're talking about and you're missing where you have to go and people go the wrong way. It's like, there's so many iterations and so many really smart people working hard on this problem. So you don't feel anything. And like their work is like invisible to um, the average player. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh... It's like the designers, everybody, it's a collaborative, beautiful little machine. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Speaking to both of your points, I, I do think, as Lucy was saying, there there is such a cohesion to everything that happens here. And it is, as you were saying, Neil, that invisible nature that when you don't see all of the work that went in, it, it's also an indicator of how much work did really go in. Right. Uh, and I, I think the the level to which that happens in so many moments of this game, you know, my favorite moment, I really enjoyed playing catch with the dog. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I think there are there, there are so many great moments in this game, you know, from uh, Abby uh, in Santa Barbara hearing the call on the radio and finally, you know, getting a speck of hope. And I, th I think the way uh, you, you have these small moments of hope and empathy and love and rage and all of these emotions coming through at every point uh, really shows the craft that came from all aspects of the team. Uh, so thank you to you and the team for putting together such a phenomenal experience uh, for us to play. And thank you for taking the time to talk 
to us about it. I'm sure we could keep going for forever, but I know Lucy has to talk to you both also uh, uh, about the game more, so I don't want to rob her of any more of that time. Um, thank you both so much for taking the time uh, for joining us for this episode. Uh, and I definitely encourage, if you somehow listen to all of this and haven't played the game, go play The Last of Us Part Two. You should have done that at the beginning, but please go play it now. It's such a phenomenal mm-hmm. experience. And thank you both so much for joining us. Well, thank you. Beyond. Thanks for having us. Beyond. Beyond. Yeah. <laughs>